This is an Odyssey original. This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. Flash mob robbers of business owners and customers on edge wondering if they are next. So we will go in-depth with LAPD Chief Michael Moore about what's being done to stop these and other crimes. In other words, what you're saying, Charles, is the police are here, but you and I are not under arrest. As far as we know. As far as now, we that know. Could, that could change at any moment. Oh, stay tuned. Grocery giants Kroger and Albertsons are making moves to get their big merger approved. We're going to go in-depth into whether we are living in a world of giant monopolies. Also, scammers are going after bank accounts, and you might be surprised what tool they're using. You know, people, by the way, are cruel. Because yesterday we did that whole segment with the watermelons yes. about whether they're going to explore. Yes. And I actually got a tweet from somebody saying they were disappointed that the watermelons didn't blow up in our faces. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, seriously? Come on. But then you deliberately set my yeah. watermelon closer to my face than you set yours closer to your face. Well, they only go off, apparently, when they're heated. I did right. put yours in the oven, but... Yes, you know, and just, it didn't work. Saying, no. <laughs> but but here's, here's, yeah. the, here's the twist. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I gave mine to Karen. Oh. Oh, does she know? Uh, I'm going to ask her if it exploded. Okay, we'll find out. A mystery. We start, though, with corporate mergers and their impact on all of us and our wallets. William Kovacic is a uh, George Washington University law professor, former Federal Trade Commission chair, and also co-editor of the Journal of Antitrust Enforcement. William, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on, folks. So let's see. When I was growing up, there were lots and lots of different pharmacies, uh, little small ones, mom and pa shops. Now you got a, basically a bunch of, of chain stores, a few chains that, that control the market. When I was growing up, there were lots and lots of airlines. Now you basically have a few that, that control the skies. Now it looks like we're going to have just a few companies that control the places that we buy our food to eat. Uh, are we now living in pretty much, if not a monopoly world, a world where just a very few corporations own pretty much everything? We have a number of industries in which concentration has grown over time, and we only have a handful of players. There are a couple of exceptions. The automobile sector today is a lot more competitive than it was when I was a kid, when it was the, the, big, the big three, the big four, and uh, not much else. But in so many sectors, uh, the number of players has has fallen off. And that's particularly true in the area of grocery retailing, which you've mentioned just a moment ago. You know, uh, the the companies that want to do these mergers, they sell us on this dream, and it's the same dream of trickle-down economics. They sell us this dream of, like, if you let these two companies or these three companies merge, then it's going to mean better service for you, the consumer, and maybe even cheaper prices. Does it ever work out that way? I think a healthy part of modern policy is that the enforcement officials at the Federal Trade Commission, Department of Justice, and in state governments are asking, how do you know it worked? Show me how it worked before. To turn to grocery retailing to say, you've done X number of transactions over the past 20 years. Point me to three that really made life better off for consumers. Just give me three. I don't, I don't want 10. I want three. Uh, they're finally asking in a much more demanding way, show me that it works. But, you know, it's interesting because going back to uh, when the government broke up, forced the breakup of AT&T, for example, uh, to show you how these things sometimes don't really work out. I remember there was an old Saturday Night Live sketch where they had a, a fake promo for AT&T and the tagline was, 
AT&T because we'll be a monopoly again. So even if the government tries to do something, don't these economic forces have so much power, politically and economic, that sooner or later they get you? I think that in many ways, uh, the government is 10 steps behind in developing lots of its cases. Uh, They don't have enough people to do the job. The people doing the job are paid considerably less than their counterparts in the private sector and law firms, economic consulting firms. Uh, And in a number of respects, uh, it's like trying to win a Formula One race uh, on the back of an ostrich. Uh, that's That's a serious problem. Another is that the government has relied so much in the past on settlements that is spin off some companies, sell some companies to solve problems without going back and asking, did it work? What happened to the stores that were sold off? So we're only now getting around to the idea that you have to measure the effects of what you've done. William Kovacic, thank you so much. Uh, George Washington University Law School professor. Talk about uh, merger fever. Of course, there's an upside to it. I mean, if you only have one store to buy everything you need for your entire life, it does make keeping receipts easy. It does. Unless you're going to the drugstore and then your receipt is 12 miles long. Officials in Ukraine say a missile strike has killed at least 16 people in an outdoor market in an eastern city. Now, this comes, by the way, as Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Ukraine. So war correspondent Phil Itner is back with us from Kiev. Phil, how you doing? Good, thanks. So bring us up to date. We haven't talked for quite a bit. Uh, a lot going on in your part of the world, indeed in, in Ukraine. What exactly is the mission mm-hmm. of the Secretary of State, by the way? Well, first and foremost, uh, it's to show support for Ukraine and uh, also to uh, bring with him, as he uh, described it, uh, um, you know, some gifts. Uh, He said it would be rude to arrive and not, you know, come not bearing gifts. So he uh, has announced a $1 billion package uh, of aid uh, to Ukraine. Most of that will be going to military um, acquisitions, but he's also expected to be making an announcement uh, before he leaves of uh, another multi-million dollar um, uh, aid package, but this time uh, aimed at uh, anti-corruption efforts, uh, support for police, uh, for the courts, uh, that sort of thing, to make sure that the, the other money that is being contributed not only by the United States, but but also uh, other international organizations and nations, that that money will be spent properly. It's a little bit worrisome, though, when we have high-level officials traveling to Ukraine, because not only for the fact that, you know, information could be leaked, these surprise visits might not be surprised. I, I doubt that, uh, well, who knows, that Russia would deliberately attack one of our officials when we're there. But what's really worrisome is about one of these Russian attacks just happening to take out a plane or a train or a building where one of our high-level officials happens to be. And then we're in a whole different world at that point. What what kind of security measures that you can talk about can you tell us when when we know that uh, officials are visiting Ukraine? Well, when, whenever a, a high-level um, dignitary such as uh, Blinken would arrive, um, you know, it's done as secretly as possible. It's done uh, 
I mean, they do not fly. <laughs> so uh, knocking a plane out of the sky is not uh, realistic. They don't even go on helicopters. It's just simply too dangerous. But you're absolutely right. I mean, it could a, a missile could come in uh, to Kiev. It could be hit by the anti-air uh, shield that we have over the city, and debris can fall wherever. Uh, so even if the Russians are trying to avoid targeting the kind of diplomatic part of town where all the embassies and the residences are located, um, you know, war is uh, pretty unpredictable. And so, uh, you know, the secretary of state is definitely in a war zone and as such is uh, under threat. Uh, if you're right, if that were to happen, if somebody of his uh, level or even actually, you know, uh, uh, somebody who is in Ukraine in an official capacity for the United States government or military, you know, we have Marines at the embassy. If they get killed, uh, we're, we are definitely in a very dangerous situation because, uh, you know, whether or not it's intended or not, uh, if Russian uh, arms are flying into Ukraine and they kill a U.S. citizen, again, who is here on official capacity, then it's a major diplomatic uh, crisis. Which brings me to the question about our allies. Uh, there is more division, uh, at least more vocalization of that division, uh, about whether or not Ukraine's counteroffensive against the Russians is not getting bogged down. Questions are more now being raised than before about the wisdom of spending, you know, uh, seemingly endless amounts of, of money. Uh, how is that impacting, if it is, the morale in Ukraine? Well, there's, there's a, uh, to be perfectly honest, there's a bit of consternation about it because uh, the Ukrainians see themselves as fighting a war that is not only for Ukraine, but also uh, as a bulwark against Russian expansionism and imperialism, which could include other states within Europe. Uh, and while, yeah, we we are certainly uh, sending money, not just the United States, but, uh, you know, nations around the world, uh, it is the Ukrainians who are fighting and uh, dying. So, you know, they, they can, I oftentimes do hear a little bit of, of, you know, umbrage that, you know, yeah, you're giving us money, but we're dying and our our buildings are being destroyed and we're the ones that are paying the price actually physically on the ground. This is what I hear from my Ukrainian friends and, and colleagues and contacts. Um, so as far as the uh, counteroffensive is concerned, they are making slow and steady progress. It is not, it is not sweeping uh, maneuvers and spearheads that, that take, uh, you know, that encircle, you know, thousands of Russian soldiers, certainly not. But it is steadily moving day by day towards the Sea of Azov. Now, that's really important, and that's the objective, because if, if, the, if the Ukrainian forces can make it to the Sea of Azov, they will split the land bridge that Russia has from mainland Russia all the way down to the Crimean Peninsula, which this war is so much about because they have a major naval base there, the Russians do. If the, if the land bridge can be severed, and Ukrainian forces are still saying that they expect that that's a very real possibility, it will send shockwaves through Russia because Crimea is the cornerstone of their sense of self as empire. And make no doubt about it, this is a colonial war uh, resisting an imperial uh, invader. So uh, Crimea, which is so deeply ingrained in their mentality in Russia, if that can be cut off 
and it's in it and the the delusion that the Russians have that there are no consequences for them uh, if that delusion can be broken uh, it will shatter an awful lot of of what Russia thinks they can do here in Ukraine or hold on to right. so that's still possible there's weeks left in the, in the fighting in the counteroffensive and the Ukrainians are making progress albeit slow. All right. Thank you so much. War correspondent Phil Littner talking to us from Kiev, Ukraine. A little bit later on, not much later on, because we're well running out of time. well-oiled machine, yeah, this show. Yeah, because we're run out of time. But uh, we are going to be sitting down here with uh, LAP. Well, we wouldn't stand, would we? No, we are going to sit down. We are going to sit down. Yeah. We're going to sit and he's going to sit. I'm not going to stand. They don't no, pay me not. enough to yeah. stand. Uh, with LAPD Chief Michael Moore. Right now, those scammers trying to use voice deep fakes to try to target people's bank accounts. Now, the scammers call the banks, then pretend to be a person asking to transfer funds out of their bank account. Rajul Gupta is a deep fake and AI expert. He's also the co-founder of uh, and CEO of Deep Media. And uh, thank you for joining us. You know, the one question we always ask whenever we speak to an AI or a deep fake expert, we always ask, are you real? Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, if you're asking me if I'm real, I will never tell you. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. That because I don't know how we would prove otherwise. How does this bank exactly, scheme? Right. How does the bank scheme work? Well, the idea here is that with the modern advent of AI, uh, voice, and deepfake technology, people can now clone um, another person's voice with as little as three seconds uh, of their voice sample. So someone can call up a bank, uh, request funds to be transferred. The uh, scammer will already have some of their basic information, but that last verification piece, which is just that human verification, that authenticity, that this is the person who actually owns the account, can now be spoofed as well. So they'll type in some answers, some conversation in their computer, press a button, and within just one or two seconds response, they'll be able to speak and interact like they were the owner of that account. Which See, means they can now control funds uh, completely. Seems like a lot of work, though, because they've got to get a sample of your voice and know that they are targeting you. So that that's a lot of effort. Uh, how well does it work? Well, you know, with the uh, modern advent of social media, most people nowadays have at least a 5, 15-second voice clip of themselves online somewhere. Not everyone, but I think a lot of us have made those social media posts uh, which means that it's actually quite easy for someone to get access and clone your voice. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a widely popular radio host to have. Yeah, your I was going to say, uh, we're Charles and I are done in that regard because her yeah, voice is right. all over the place. <laughs> well, they could they exactly. could take they they could extract a million dollars from my bank account, but taking a million out of zero is still is hard to do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Right. Well, it's funny, you, you know, moving forward, they're probably not even going to need that good of a voice sample. They can even craft and create voices uh, using things like sliders that control emotion and accents and where you're from and masculinity versus femininity to craft this voice from nothing that mimics someone's voice almost perfectly from just out of thin air. So what are banks doing to uh, head this off to make sure that that you can't do that? Well, Deep Media is actually partnering with uh, many banks in the United States, Europe, and Australia to integrate our voice uh, deepfake detection tooling to ensure that the person that uh, these banking folks are talking to on the other end is actually a real person. At the end of the day, it requires integration from the top down of deepfake detection technology to protect 
everyone from, you know, CEOs of companies to people whose life savings are in these banks. But aren't you always kind of doomed to be one step behind that, that as soon as you come up with a way to detect a deep fake voice, the people who are creating the deep fake voices figure out a way of making it better. So how do you eventually win? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. This is a cat and mouse game like anything when it comes to fraud. But Deep Media's approach to this is actually special. We create a lot of the cutting edge deep fake voice networks before other people do. So, for example, right now in 2023, you can use three seconds of someone's voice to clone it, make them say whatever. Deep Media actually has had that same technology for the past two years. And we've used that technology to build up data sets that can now detect the cutting edge deep fake generators. So we're always 12 months ahead of anyone else in the space. Another example for that is like right now, it's very difficult to clone someone's voice if they have a heavy accent. Like if they have an Indian accent or a Vietnamese accent, that accent kind of goes away. However, deep media's technology actually incorporates that accent into the vocalization. And that's something no one else in the world has except for us, which means we're building detection models. So when other people figure that out, we're already be ahead of the game. All right. Rajul Gupta, deep fake and AI expert, also co-founder and CEO of Deep Media, the company he's talked about there. And Charles, uh, I worry that someone could deep fake my voice and then uh, use that to call you and insult you and make you feel bad. That wouldn't be any different from the real you. Exactly. It would be exactly the same. They right. could just do a so, recording. So yeah. I, I, yeah. Wouldn't, I wouldn't be suspicious. But, you know, he said, <laughs> he said, he said something interesting about, you know, that, it, that these deep fake voices are not good at accents. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, if we all start speaking with an accent, accent, then we should be okay. We can protect ourselves. This is KNX In-Depth, along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. One thing always in the minds of people who live and work in L.A. is their safety. They want to be able to live and uh, work peacefully. But recently, a series of high-profile flash mobs, smash-and-grab, and armed robberies have put businesses, business owners and residents on edge, wondering, are they going to be next? With us now to talk about all of this and more is LAPD Chief Michael Moore. Good last name, actually. I just realized that. <laughs> Who's with us in the studio. Chief, thanks for being with us. I keep hearing uh, that people say uh, that these smash and grabs are organized in some way. Now, you know, I come from, from New York, and when we talked about organized crime in New York, you know, we were talking about organizational charts and somebody who was a boss at the top. What what do we know in terms of police intelligence about these things? Are they organized just in the sense that a few people get together and say, hey, let's go rob that store? Or is there some uh, evidence of some more uh, concrete organization behind some of this anyway? Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And your question, it actually, it's all of that. We, ha- we know that organized retail theft is a multi-billion dollar industry across America. And Los Angeles is no different. What's different right now is these flash mobs or these individual, these crews that are going into these high-end retailers, but also other establishments and overwhelming the staff and hauling off merchandise and at times using force, certainly in all, nearly all instances, fear to intimidate and to strike terror. Terror in the sense of people who are witnessing this as they're just simply out to enjoy a shopping engagement at a mall or a shopping center, but also terror in a sense of merchants that are worried how to keep their employees safe, 
how to protect the very livelihood, and whether or not this is a growing trend and something that's going to escalate further, or can law enforcement working with our retailers and working with our communities and our entire criminal justice system turn this around? And I believe uh, 100% in the latter. We have, uh, we've noticed this. We've seen this. We know that the sense of helplessness that it leaves in some communities, and we are absolutely determined to change that. And the work that our men and women have brought to this already in a short period of time with the investigators we've pulled from LAPD, our specialized areas surrounding jurisdictions. I want to thank the sheriffs as well as our police chiefs, our county district attorney, our state attorney, as well as our U.S. attorney have all joined forces. We've made nearly 20 arrests already. We've identified a near same number of individuals that will be facing arrests very soon. And we've written search warrants and we have more investigative efforts yet to come. And I'm convinced that we're going to find the spectrum from individuals who think this is an opportunity because they're part of a, of a crew. I think we'll find people who are more sophisticated that are, have some ringleaders. And then we know that in the whole business of organized retail theft, that there's a whole underground economy uh, that's online, that is in street vendors, that are unscrupulous merchants that are buying this merchandise and creating a marketplace for these thieves. But let me be sure our Angelinos that we're on it, and I have every confidence that we're going to change this. And that's partly because of our track history. We saw a similar phenomenon just a few short years ago with follow-home, follow-off bandits, a phenomenon we hadn't seen in two decades. And violence, including homicides and shootings. And it really struck terror in the sense of Angelinos. And I'm proud of the work of, again, LAPD, Robbery Homicide Division, we assigned added investigators, made more than 100 arrests, 300 search warrants, state and federal charges, and changed that, and changed the sense by some that they could do this with no or little consequence. We are in the studio with uh, LAPD Chief Michael Moore, live with us today on the uh, final segments of KNX In-Depth. We'll continue with more, with more coming up. And we are back talking in studio with LAPD Chief Michael Moore. Uh, you mentioned in passing before uh, when we were talking about the smash and grabs and the, the concerted effort uh, on the part of all the different branches of uh, law enforcement here. Uh, and, and among those you thanked for cooperating was, I noted, the L.A. County District Attorney. Uh, and yet, as you know, uh, the DA, who has been on this show to talk about it, uh, has come under a lot of, you know, attacks. There are people who, who say, oh, the reason why some of this is happening is because the L.A. County D.A.'s office is too lenient. They're letting people out on the on the streets. Uh, he was notably uh, absent from that uh, big uh, powwow that all you guys had a couple of weeks back. And when we asked him why he didn't go, he said the mayor didn't invite him. I'm not quite sure I believe that answer, but that's what he said. Um, what do you think? In terms of the job that the DA is doing, and we're talking about, of course, uh, uh, Gascon, uh, do you think the criticism of him and his office is fair? Well, I'm not going to get into the broader range of criticism or, or lack thereof otherwise. I think what's, in th what's important is in this instance here, and in every instance involving serious crimes, that the DA and I have an open open line of communications. Uh, DA Gascon and I have known each other for, for two decades, and there's instances and policies within his office that 
uh, I disagree with, and he, I share with him that. And I'm sure there's things in which, as the chief, there's things he may disagree or believe that I should be going in a different direction. In this instance, what we've done very clearly is had candid conversation about these are serious offenses. These are startling, not only in the sense that the loss of hundreds of thousands of dollars of merchandise, but the risk to people's lives and their livelihoods that are associated. And so organized retail theft, the uh, commission of a robbery, the conspiracy to commit these type of, of, of organized mobs is serious and that the communities are startled and scared and they feel a sense of hopelessness and helplessness, particularly if they feel that the criminal justice system is going to fall short and not hold these individuals accountable. He has assured me uh, that he sees that very similarly. He has assigned full-time DA prosecutors as well as investigators, and we're on open and ongoing conversations. Also, we're relying upon the heavier bat, if you would, of uh, the Attorney General Robert, uh, Rob Bonta, who has brought state charges involving some of these individuals who are crossing county lines. And lastly, I'm very grateful for our U.S. Attorney, uh, Martina Estrada, who is also assigning prosecutors and federal investigators to go after these individuals on a federal statute. I've talked. I've spoken with some of my colleagues in New York City who have seen these type of instances in their past, and they talk about the Hobbs Act is what really stopped this, because when individuals recognize that they're subject to incarcerations of 10, 15, 20 years off of the, some of these federal statutes, it ceased the organized nature of this. And it also had a significant chilling effect upon those that were drawn to this with the allure that this was easy cash and could easily turn them uh, a profit. So, again, the DA, uh, this is a work in progress. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, encouraged by the, uh, the uh, filings that we're seeing. We are seeing felony filings. We're seeing robbery filings, conspiracy. So this is, uh, I recognize the, the state in which we're in. Again, I, I'm a chief of police. I'm apolitical. I don't get into these, uh, to these political uh, food fights. But I do think that in the criminal justice system, we all have to work together and recognizing when there are serious threats to public safety that we use every lever that we can to both stop those and hold them accountable that are engaged in it, but also, as important, to discourage others who feel that this is an opportunity. It uh, would have changed the topic a little bit. It looks like there's some more fallout over the release of police officer photos. Uh, through the California Public Records Act. Uh, understand now there is a group of LAPD officers who had uh, sensitive assignments. They are taking legal action against the city. They say their safety was impacted because of the photos being released because they allegedly uh, were or sometimes did undercover work or uh, were seen talking with informants, and now they can be identified. Do you have any comment on that? Well, I'm not familiar with anything recently as in the last couple of weeks or months. This was something that occurred back in April, it is a subject of an ongoing investigation. Uh, I made statements at the time that the release of these photographs was not proper, that I believe that there were people that were uh, whose uh, photographs were released that were involved in sensitive and confidential investigations, and I don't agree that they should have been released. Yeah. And in this case, though, it does appear that these officers are want to take legal action against the city for yeah, so, allowing so, the release. So with that, uh, again, I expect that we've done everything we can to pull those back. There's a current court actions regarding that. We've also set the, set the record straight as to that this was a mistake and an error. And we've also done everything we can to work with those that have any concern for their safety to ensure that their identity 
online, social media presence, and so forth is protected. And that's as a way of heightening their uh, safety. Anyone who's felt like their their identity has been compromised, we've also allowed them to be reassigned from those sensitive assignments so that they can uh, have that peace of mind and their family's peace of mind. So on a more personal note, uh, you've been chief for a while now. Are you getting to the point, maybe you're at the point, where you're thinking, you know, it's time to just kind of go and enjoy life and forget about all this stuff. <laughs> this is a privilege of a lifetime. Uh, I I am entering my second term. It's been five plus years uh, as a chief. This is my 42nd year uh, as a member of this great organization. And I'm excited uh, today as, as much as ever. We've gone through a very difficult, uh, tumultuous period of time with COVID, the civil unrest, the uh, the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. What I look forward to is every day coming to work and doing my best, and I'm encouraged by Mayor Bass and by a majority of city council that wants, wants to rebuild this organization, get our crime members, particularly violence, back to the success that we saw just prior to COVID. And there's uh, tremendous opportunities all around for just that. How hard is it to walk that tightrope? You talk about civil unrest demonstrations that get out of hand. Uh, you know, we've had recent uh, illustrations of that, uh, people protesting at LAUSD headquarters over the gender policies of some school districts. But also, when you have some civil unrest, it is directed at police officers uh, because of something that happened in some other city. And uh, it, do you find it difficult for you and your officers to walk that tightrope of protecting their right to protest while at the same time understanding you're you're the target of some of the invective. So that what's really critical in that is ensuring that, first of all, we have the right people, that we hire the qualified, uh, intelligent individuals who have the ability to recognize that what's being, at- what's being attacked is an image or what they're the symbol of what they stand for is law enforcement and not them personally. Secondly is what we ensure their training and the management of these type of conflicts that we're giving people breaks and, and relief so that they don't lose that, 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 that resilience of working through this. I'm proud of our people and these countless demonstrations, including when they're the subject of that demonstration, for their ability to thread that needle and walk that line. We don't always get it right. We're going to make mistakes. But the vast majority of time, the professionalism of a Los Angeles police officer, the leadership that they demonstrate in the communities, uh, I stand I stand behind them. I stand in support of them. And I look forward to us, again, continuing to work through each of these issues carefully, thoughtfully. Just this weekend, we had a huge labor uh, dis- uh, uh, demonstration in, in front of Kaiser. We had 23 individuals that planned on being arrested. We facilitated that with hundreds of people around. Uh, again, we recognize that the role of us is to keep the peace, manage and facilitate those demonstrations so people can be heard and uh, and we can have a type of city that we're all proud of. We, we really are just about now out of time, but it's a very quick answer to this. Uh, some police departments are offering huge amounts of money, like 75000 bucks as a signing bonus because it's really hard to get recruits. Uh, what about LAPD? Very quick answer. Yeah, so really grateful that uh, Mayor Bass provided a historic four-year contract to help bridge the gap of the, the of our pay or our benefits, both to attract and retain our workforce. We have a record ability now to hire. Uh, anyone out there who wants to be a member of this organization, be part of the 21st century policing, get ready for the Olympics. It's an exciting time, and I think we're going to pay them fairly. They'll find working conditions that give them opportunities unlike anywhere else in American policing.
Uh, the concern, though, very quickly, again, I know we're out of time. The concern is, though, very the, quickly on all this. Yeah, the, 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 it kind of busts the budget uh, for the city. Do you have any concern about that? I, I don't believe it busted the budget uh, at all. I know it was a stretch for the mayor as well as for his council. And I think that they demonstrated in that stretch that their commitment is first and foremost to the safety of the people of this great city. All right. Uh, LAPD Chief Michael Moore sitting down with us in studio, not arresting Charles or me, which is we want to thank you for that. That's great. I know Charles has some uh, outstanding warrants that he might want to have to take care of. But I think that's now, okay. now you're bringing it now up. Now I bring it up. <laughs> great. Uh, that's it for KNX In-Depth today. We'll do this again tomorrow 